Hello and welcome to the Down to the Wire podcast. My name is Varun Shankar. We have basketball to talk about as the NBA has returned. Joining me on the other line is Jake Whitaker, the site manager of SB Nation's wizard site, Bullets Forever. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. I've got a very important question. It's probably the most pressing one that the Wizards are going to face this year. And we're going to start off at the top with a very serious basketball question. Are you a fan of the new John Wall hairstyle? I think I am because, you know, I, I think John Wall has just kind of finally entered that phase in his life where he doesn't you know, care what the critics think about him. I mean, I, I think he's always kind of been there, but now he just kind of has that visual, mm-hmm. you know, manifestation, you know, like, you know, he didn't, you know, he took everything with like the Team USA photo and yeah. stride. And it's just like, so, yeah, I dig it. So do you like it when it's just loose, or do you like it when it's in the cornrows? I, I like it more when it's loose. It's just yeah. like, you know, let's just let it hang out. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just, <laughs> just here to, you know, rack up assists and beat you. All right, so now let's actually shift to the basketball. So the Wizards have really changed their team a lot this year in a way that I didn't think they could. So I'm just going to list a bunch of transactions, and we're going to talk about each one. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All right, so the first one they did really early in the summer is they traded Marcin Gortat for Austin Rivers. And I really like this trade because you looked at Gortat and we knew that he had to go, right? Right. So he had problems in the locker room. He wasn't effective. I mean, he couldn't shoot outside of like four feet. And Austin Rivers, I mean, he has some is- the same issues that Gortat did with uh, in the locker room, but he's a very good shooter. And I think he's going to be a much better player on the second unit than Jody Meeks was, don't you think? Yeah, and, and what's nice about him is that, you know, if you had kept Gortat, he was, you know, going to expire at the end of the year, and there was just no point in bringing him back. You know, if Rivers brings some value this season, you've got his bird rights, you can sign him for, you know, to be that third guard for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. So you, know, you have that, you have the fact that he can, you know, just create his own shot in a way that, you know, a lot of other bench guys the Wizards have had in the past haven't. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of value in having a guy like that. Um, you know, it's the, the key is kind of, you know, giving him that space so he can kind of do his own thing without messing up maybe what the starters are doing. But at the same time, those uh, three-guard lineups have shown some promise so far. So we'll see how that plays out. When you talk about the three-guard lineups, you're talking about Wall, Beal, and Rivers, right? Right. So that's something we saw them do last year a little bit with Tomas Sadoransky. Do you think that that dream of having – do you think the dream of having a four-guard lineup is still in play because of Sadoransky's versatility? Yeah. I, I mean, with the way the NBA is going, I mean, it just feels like, you know, anything is on the table at this point. And, you know, that's probably, you know, with Wall, Beal, Sadoransky, and Rivers – um, you know, until Ubre can get his shot back, I mean, I think you could argue that gives you your most potent switchable perimeter lineup, and then you can kind of have Otto or you know Dwight or whoever you want as a mm-hmm. five. Right. You know, it just gives you a lot of options. So you talked, uh, you wrote a piece in Bullets Forever talking about how his pull up sh- Rivers pull up shooting adds a totally new dimension to the Wizards. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So. The interesting thing about the Wizards over the years is, you know, Wall, you know, everything's been built around his ability to penetrate and then kick out. So they've been able to survive with a lot of these just standstill shooters, you know, like Jared Dudley, Garrett Temple, you know, guys, guys of that ilk. And, and really Bradley Beal, 
even though he's gotten so much better at creating his own shot, he's not the best at creating his own threes the same way that a guy like James Harden is. So Rivers actually was very, very good at pull-up threes. Um, one of the best in the league that's not just like an automatic all-star player. So I think um, having that extra dimension is going to matter a lot when they go to those three-guard lineups, when you just need somebody who can kind of um, create some outside offense when everything else is closing down around Beal. And I think also with the way uh, the Wizards bench is constructed, they don't have that uh, great floor spacer like they did last year with Mike Scott. So you kind of have to create some, you know, outside shooting on your own sometimes. And I think that's where he can uh, provide a lot of value this year. So overall, you're a huge fan of the Gortat for Rivers swap. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some, you know, concerns with Rivers. Just, you know, he hasn't always been the most efficient guy, and uh, there really isn't anyone to stop him from just uh, firing at will mm-hmm. off the bench, which, which can be a problem. But, um, you know, given what the Wizards had to work with, and, you know, I don't think there was a great market out there for Gortat. I don't think you could uh, – you know, do much better than what they did. The next move the Miz- the Wizards, sorry, the next move that the Wizards made is that they drafted Troy Brown Jr. from Oregon. And I was initially kind of down on the move for Brown because I thought there were better options on the table, and I thought the Wizards reached a little bit. But after watching him play in summer league and a little bit in the preseason, I'm really intrigued by his skill set. What do you think of Brown? Yeah, I, I think he he has a lot more upside than I think I gave him credit for initially. Um, you know, just just in summer league and you know in preseason, he has like just kind of a polish to his game that mm-hmm. you know you don't expect it from a guy that age, much less you know, just just anyone. He's just so far ahead in that on that level. The the thing now is just can he you know, ever get that shot to a point where, you know, teams are going to respect him. And I, I think that's going to take some time because it's, you know, just like, you know, we were discussing with Rivers, it's not just enough to just be able to hit it as a standstill thing. Now you have to find all sorts of new ways to create your yeah, own shot. So right. I think that's going to take a little time. But at least with the way the team is constructed this year, they're not going to need him to do anything right away he'll have some time to develop but you know it's almost kind of a catch-22 because i don't think he needs a lot of like game reps to develop it's just kind of developing those core skills so i'm kind of curious to see you know how much time they use him with the capital city go-go and how much they just try to have him you know kind of train with the guys already in the nba to show him hey this is what you need to do to you know, develop those skills, get your body where it needs to be to really compete at the highest level. So kind of curious how they'll uh, try to develop that this season. So you think that he might be a candidate to go down to the G League? Has has anyone said anything, or is that just your own speculation? Uh, just my own speculation, just because I just, if everyone's healthy, I, I just don't see where he fits in. I mean, in the uh, one game that they had against the Pistons, which was kind of their uh, dress rehearsal, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't even play. Yeah. So, you know, as a, at a certain point, I think they'll want to get him a few games down there just to, um, you know, get him some, you know, right. actual games in. But I, I don't expect him to spend the whole season down there. Got it. I personally think that is he is he Kelly Oubre insurance in case Oubre plays really well and maybe prices himself out of where the Wizards want to go. 
I, I think that could certainly be the case. And, it, you know, if nothing else, it's kind of uh, insurance against um, Ubre's, I think, biggest weakness, which is just his tunnel vision. Yeah. And, you know, just having, you know, another guy who can kind of, uh, you know, create their own shot because the Wizards have always had this weird dynamic where you have either a bunch of guys who can create their own shot but aren't great shooters or a bunch of shooters who can't create their own shot at all. And Mm -hmm. I think ideally they want to try to get Troy Brown to that point where he can do a little bit of both. But, you know, right now it's still just a lot of – just passing, which, you know, is still valuable because, you know, outside of Wall and Sadoransky and Beal and occasionally Rivers, there's not there's not a lot else on the roster that way. So Brown does provide a lot in that direction. Got it. Moving on, the next move that they made that could be a good one and could not be a good one is that they signed Jeff Green. And you look at the comments coming from the Wizards about Jeff Green, I think uh, Bradley Beal called him almost LeBron, and this is what we've been hearing about Jeff Green for the last ten to fifteen years. Right. <laughs> and every team signs him thinking that he's going to be the answer to their prayers, and he's never been. What do you think of Green? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, you know, for you know, for a minimum deal, it's hard to really be, yeah, you know, too upset about any of it. It's it's just kind of it is what it is. But I do worry that um, you know, the team just kind of maybe relies on him too much. I just, I, I have flashbacks to Nene and, just, you know, when the team would just kind of rely on him to do something in the post, just because he kind of has that reputation and that, you know, mystique of like a guy who is very talented, but doesn't always um, produce. Right. And so I, I do think that could, you know, become an issue, especially if, uh, the the team gets very one dimensional with Rivers, and they're like, "We need to do something. What are we going to do?" And then, you know, they just resort to posting up Jeff Green. I could see, you know, a lot of issues with that. But, um, you know, I, I think the other thing is just Jeff Green is a much different player than Mike Scott. Yeah, he's replacing, and you know, Mike Scott. You know, even though he wasn't a guy that could create with the ball in his hands the same way. Green did. He he was just so good at finding those little creases in the defense to pop out to to kind of get those open looks. And now that that's gone, um, you know, you're you're still asking you know a, a roster that's largely devoid of you know creators on that second unit to try to figure something out. And I just worry that they're going to rely a little bit more on uh, Jeff Green than they should, and I think that could be an issue. Uh, speaking of signing old guys with great pedigrees, the Wizards also signed Dwight Howard, who has not been good and is a roster malcontent for the last three or four teams he's played on and has gotten his coach fired in multiple places. And Jake, please talk me out of this because the more I talk, the less good I feel about Dwight Howard. All right. Okay. So here's how I would frame it. You know, the Wizards had a malcontent center last year. Yeah. It was not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> at worst, you, you have the same situation with a different, you know, you just change the names and it's the same <laughs> problem. I do think, you know, in the same way we were talking about Jeff Green, where maybe the players perceive the guy as more than he really is, I do think there's some of that element there. I worry that, you know, the perimeter defense will sag a little bit because they just think 
Dwight Howard can clean everything up at the rim and is with the league, the way the league's going, I don't think that really works. Mm-hmm. You know, Howard's not going to be able to guard out on the perimeter. Yeah. Um, I think the way, you know, people might think he could with his athleticism. I mean, it's very up and down athleticism. It's never been really side to side, side, to side athleticism that he has. So I think that could be an issue, especially with his, uh, aching, uh, bottom muscles <laughs> i don't i don't i don't know what the rating is on this podcast so keep safe but uh but uh you know so i i think you know i worry that there will be a little bit maybe of an over-reliance on uh power to clean up stuff at the at the rate that should be addressed further out and then you know offensively it's always going to be a matter of uh you know can he uh, cut down on the things that he doesn't do well, like his post-ups and and everything else, and really focus on where he can be, you know, a monster, even at this age, just setting those screens, crashing to the rim, and just opening things up for the rest of the offense. And, you know, that's uh, – it remains to be seen. Um, I mean, I think the, the good thing is that I think it's seen, you know, some of the backlash from, you know, just what he's had to go through the last three – you know, three or four years and you know we'll see if that changes his outlook but um yeah i mean i guess the way i'd see it is it can't be worse than last season even if you know dwight is just totally out to you know wreck the team i mean the withers have been through worse it's the withers so <laughs> it just you know bring it on i guess it's the theory of having uh, roster issues and chemistry issues. You can only have so many chemistry issues before it just levels off, and I guess this team's reached that point. So who knows, maybe Dwight Howard's going to buy into a role of being a screen setter, rebounder, and dunk dunker, and he's going to just be a great signing. But I'm personally a little bit pessimistic on the move just because of his track record. Now let's move back, and I've got a few other questions here. Last year was maybe the worst year John Wall, one of the worst years John Wall had in his career. He missed a lot of games, and when he came back, he wasn't the most effective player. This is a huge year for him, I and mean, he's got that huge Supermax contract kicking in, I think, this year? Uh, next year. Next, next year, year, right. Yeah, and this that, is his last EP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so what do we expect from Wall? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think... You know, you could argue that a lot of his inefficiency last year was him trying to play through stuff he shouldn't have played through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he's healthy, that should fix itself. And that's, you know, good and well, but he is going into his ninth year. So even if he gets back to being healthy, the reality of being an athlete is as you get older, there's more chances that you get injured again. Right. So he might have 10 to 15 good games something flares up at his knee and then he's right back where he was. And so I think that's something that, uh, you know, will have to be monitored. I do, I do kind of like um, what they did in that game against Detroit. He only played about 32 minutes. And I think if, you know, Sadoransky and Rivers can stay healthy, I think that's something that's a little more feasible this season, you know, instead of playing, 35, 38 minutes a game. Right. Um, and if that happens, then I think a lot of those issues we saw with the Wizards struggling to close games last season, I think that gets addressed um, somewhat. Uh, you know, there's still X's and O's things they had to figure out, but I mean, there were just so many times when they were just, yes. you know, walking the ball up in the last three minutes and you're just like, they have nothing left. Mm-hmm. So 
So I think if they can kind of manage his minutes a little, which I think is the hope with having Sadoransky and Rivers kind of manning that second unit, I think uh, it should help kind of stave off the uh, aging curve a little bit at least. One of the most interesting stats I saw with Wall last year is the fact that he was like the lowest player in terms of moving without the ball, in terms of speed moving without the ball. And I, I think that a lot of that is attributed to the injury, but we've seen with guys like Steph Curry, who's obviously a much better shooter than Wall, but just guys that when they move around, they become a lot more dangerous in the way they play. And it's something that uh, guys like in Oklahoma City, they've wanted to do with Russell Westbrook for a very long time, and he has the same issues as Wall, that they don't move without the ball. How effective do you think that's going to be? Because I saw rumors that they're going to be using Otto Porter to bring up the ball, let John get the ball uh get the ball uh, moving off a cut and stuff like that. Do you think that that's something that Wall's going to buy into? Um, I, I think I think the sell is just going to have to be that it's going to make you better late in games to not have all these, uh, all this, you know, wear and tear that's kind of like, you know, you're going 150% when you have the ball and then, you know, negative 50% <laughs> when you don't have the ball. You know, you have to find that balance so that, you know, it's not just that when you're, the ball's in your hands that the team is effective, but also mm. you know, how do you let Beal be the best version of himself? How do you let Porter be the best version of himself? And so, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, is that with Wall's speed, he should be a great cutter off the ball. Yeah. But just something, you know, he's never had to learn that because ever since, you know, he's been in high school, that's, you know, he's just been the guy that runs the offense. And so I think, yeah, it's going to have to take some buy-in, but you know, it's it's one of those things that you know, as he enters this, you know, second half of his career, this is the kind of stuff that's going to extend him. And I think, you know, one of the interesting wrinkles with that is, you know, getting the ball um, into Beal's hands, into Otto's hands more, um, cutting out some of those outlet passes that they would try to, you know, throw over the top of the defense to get to Wall in transition. Mm-hmm. Like, there were just so many turnovers that happened yeah. over those plays that just weren't necessary. And, you know, you think about it, if you get the ball out of Wall's hands sometimes in transition, that allows him to get ahead of the defense. And so, you know, Beal or Porter can be firing ahead to Wall. And so, you know, it, it's just another way to kind of leverage Wall's speed to create opportunities in transition and, you know, maybe make him the guy on the end of the alley-oop instead of the one throwing it all the time got it is it just me or has, does it look like he's a little bit bigger than he was last year it looks like he's added a bit of muscle to his frame yeah i, I feel like he's uh you know kind of trying trying to take to the uh james harden uh school of getting things done and you know that's really been uh one of the flaws in wall's game just not knowing how to kind of get to the foul line um, you know, I think he gets fouled a lot more than it gets called. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, I think adding that extra muscle and kind of, you know, kind of showing that movement a little bit, I think might help his cause a little bit. And, you know, I, I know the sample size was, you know, really small with the preseason, but I think there were some, you know, positive signs in that direction. We'll see how it plays out uh, come the regular season. But, yeah, I, I think you know, putting on a little extra bulk there might help him, you know, be a little more effective in kind of drawing contact, especially, 
you know, in those half court situations. Could it impact him in terms of like uh, when he's playing on the fast break? Is he going to be a little bit slower because of that? I mean, a little bit maybe, but at the same time, you know, I, I listened to this interview once and, you know, he was talking with this guy that like really knew like a lot about track and field. And he was explaining how, you know, part of why wall is so fast is it's not like necessarily like quick twitch muscles and all that stuff. It's just, he has this like, beautiful natural running stride uh-huh. and so like you know you hear about these times when like wall is out of shape and, and it, you know and i think there is something to that sometimes and that might have contributed to, to some of his injury issues over the years but you know even when he has a little bit of extra weight he still can just fly down the court with the best of them right, so right. so i think like you know the what you know, it might shave, you know, a couple milliseconds here and there, but I think if you're getting that back in the half court, I think that more than makes up for it. All right. I suddenly feel a lot better about John Wall heading into a huge contract, so thank you. Let's move on to the second part of the Wizards' dynamic duo, Bradley Beal. He took a huge step last year. He was an all-star. He had to shoulder the load once John Wall went down. What's the next step in his evolution? Um, I think, uh, I think again, it's like Harden, not as, as weird as it might sound. You, you look at what Harden was able to do with kind of manufacturing his own offense at times, especially in isolation. Um, Bradley Beal has gotten really good at those like 18 foot step back shots. Now it's gotta be, you know, 25 step. Right. Make it a three pointer. Yeah. And I mean, that's a little bit easier said than done is, not that, you know, anything about a 25-foot step back three is easy. But, um, you know, he, he isn't quite as tall as Harden, so he can't always just rise up over guys like Harden can. So, you know, he has to pick his spots a little bit more uh, than Harden. So I, I don't think, you know, he could ever, you know, kind of get to that rate. But I think if he can just add that a little bit more and just, you know, make himself a little bit more of a threat without um, relying as much on, you know, catch and shoot opportunities and, you know, coming off screens and things like that. I think it'll, you know, make a bit of a difference. So, you know, I, I think between that and just, um, you know, as, as always trying to find ways to up those assists and yeah. cut back on those turnovers uh, wherever you can, I think that's, you know, what's going to help uh, keep him in the discussion. And, you know, now with DeRozan out of the East and, you know, Victor Ladipo is as great as he was, you know, he only has a one year kind of being at that all-star level. Does that keep up? I mean, I think there's, you know, an opportunity for Beal to really make a statement about, you know, where he sits um, in terms of shooting guards in the East, if he can really put it all together this year. For him and Wall, who who are obviously using the picks from big men so much, how big is the transition from a guy like Gortat where you have, I mean, he's one of the best screen men in the league to a guy like Howard, who is good, but not maybe not maybe as heralded as uh, Gortat. How big is that adjustment going to be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's um, a very valid concern, especially because they really haven't had any time together other than, you know, practice this week yeah, to exactly. uh, kind of feel that out. Uh, you know, as much as they might have quibbled with Gortat about certain things, they knew, you know, what he was, where he was going to be, and... Uh, yeah, you know, that's just something that I don't think that you can always develop, uh, you know, just overnight. So I, I do think that's a very um, big issue that they'll have to kind of uh, rectify. But, 
you know, if they have, you know, kind of developed some of those isolation skills, which seem to kind of, you know, the isolation is back now, thanks <laughs> to the Rockets. Uh, you know, if, if they can kind of improve that a bit, I think that'll help the concerns while they kind of figure out that uh, screening chemistry. All right, let's move now to Otto Porter, who's maybe the most underrated player in the NBA, but simultaneously the most frustrating player in the NBA because he's so good at what he does in terms of not turning the ball over and being extremely efficient. But I feel like he's got to become more aggressive and become the third option on the team, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, I, I think you can at least make the argument Otto is worth his contract just on what he does. I know it doesn't necessarily show in just the per game averages, but I think just the gravity he has with pulling people away from the paint, mm-hmm. you know, whether he's making shots or not, you know, he's someone that always has to be accounted for. But I think that's valuable in addition to, you know, everything else he does. But it's just funny because it feels like he has the skills to be more than that. I know some people just don't think he can dribble all that much, but I mean, when he's forced to really, you know, be the guy, I think he's responded quite well. And, you know, when wall first went down, Otto played really well until he got injured. And, uh, you know, there's been other opportunities where, you know, when, when guys are not in the lineup with him, he will step up and, you know, take some of those tougher shots and, you know, he's still fairly effective. So I, I think the key is, you know, he has to recognize it and the team has to recognize it in him. But if they can, then I think they, you know, it, it won't just be a matter of is Otto living up to his contract, but then, you know, even exceeding his contract, if he, he can really put that all together. I, you guys had the story, I'm pretty sure, where you guys took the pictures from his pro days, from his media days from the last four years and saw that he's really increased the amount of muscle. Do you think that's, that's going to help him become a better defender? And do you think that he's going to be a guy that can match up say, with a Ben Simmons or a Victor Oladipo like you talked about before? Because the Wizards really haven't had a defender that good. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like almost it, the bulking up is a concession that he won't ever be that great perimeter guy. I just don't think he has that you know lateral speed to really keep up with you know the best perimeter threats. But I think bulking him up a little bit more makes him a guy that can withstand you know, your fours and your fives in this day and age, you know, he can kind of, you know, he won't be completely manhandled on the block. He won't, you know, he can absorb the blows that kind of come with, you know, being in the paint sometimes. And so I think if you can get him to the point where he's, you know, playing at the four or the five, you know, 70, 80% of the time, then that opens up so many more lineup options with your one through three, you know, you can have wall Beal and Sadoransky or Ubre or rivers. And if you can get, you know, four, you know, Porter with, you know, any three of those perimeter guys, then it just makes you so much more effective. I mean, any, any lineup that's had auto at the four or the five has played really well. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, can you, you know, bulk him up to the point where it's sustainable that he can play it more than, you know, five, 10 minutes a game. And so I think if they can get to that point, um, you know, the Wizards become, you know, just a very dangerous team. So when the Wizards go to a small ball lineup, what do you think that's going to look at? What do you think that's going to look like? Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it feels like 
Brooks has talked, been trying to talk up Markeith at the five a lot. And, you know, made, some of that might have just been by extension of, you know, Howard missing so much time. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I love that lineup for long stretches just because yeah. Morris isn't a great rim runner and he's not a great rim protector. So, yeah, you can get a lot of great spacing and you can pile up points. But I think a lot of those late game comebacks, a lot of the times, some of the issues were that you had Morris at the five and he's just not a guy that's going to stop LeBron at the rim. He's not going to stop Giannis at the rim. Right. So, you know, I I think you need to have either Howard holding it down there or you just need to go way off the deep end, put Otto with the five and just go, you know, we're just going to shoot threes every single time, see if you can keep up. And, you know, I'm not really sure Scott Brooks is ready to completely embrace that yet, but, uh, we'll see. I'm ready. If they ever want to throw that lineup out there, I am so ready for that. I'm tired of the Wizards playing like it's 2005 instead of 2018, and I want them to become a more modern team. They've done that. This isn't Randy Whitman, and Scott Brooks should be lauded for some of the changes he's made, but there's still so much potential that we see coaches innovate with, that we see it again and again that Scott Brooks is unable to do so, especially late in games. And that's what I wanted to ask you about next, because... It's Scott Brooks, I think, second or third year with the team. Second, third year with the team now, and do we think he's a good coach? I mean, it's 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 one of those tricky things because I feel like you know a lot of the analysis we have on coaches is based on you know how they execute certain things in game, mm-hmm. and generally Brooks is gonna be a little bit below average in a lot of those. I mean, some right. of his, you know, after timeout plays are pretty solid, but otherwise, you know, not a lot to write home about. So it's just a matter of does his player development and his, you know, getting players to buy into an offensive scheme and a defensive scheme outweigh that. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think you could argue year one, it generally did up until game seven, when I think you could argue, you know, some of his tactics might have kept Washington from beating a team that they were probably more talented than. Imagine if the only Kelly Olynyk was not a great move. No, no. But, but you know, to be fair, you know, I think you could argue some of Brooks's tactics are hamstrung by, you know, some of his roster limitations. Right. Um, you know, they didn't really have a natural Olynyk stopper. Yeah. So... You know, it kind of goes back and forth. And, you know, I think some of the lack of creativity Brooks has in, you know, his lineups and execution is, you know, because they have a fairly unimaginative roster. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, it's not all on Brooks the way I think some people like to make it. But, um, you know, I think now that he has some fresh blood in there, I think. You know, it's it's worth seeing how much he embraces this. I, I, sometimes I worry, you know, like you know, Randy Whitman, the last year he was in Washington, really tried to embrace going small, shooting threes too. And, you know, it, it was kind of a nice story for about two weeks. And then people realized that, you know, Chris Humphreys couldn't dribble. <laughs> and, and it kind of, you know, killed that off. And so I do worry a little bit that, you know, sometimes when you're trying to catch onto a trend, you overcorrect. 
And I mean, the, the Wizards three point percentage in the preseason was abysmal. It was like under 30%. Yeah. Um, and part of that was just because, you know, the minutes were all skewed and, you know, Kelly Oubre was taking, you know, the lion's share of the threes. But, you know, it is, you know, something to monitor because while the Wizards have not shot a lot of threes generally, they have been very effective at doing it. Mm-hmm. So can they find that balance where they shoot more and, you know, the trade-off of being, you know, a little less efficient? Because, you know, there's always going to be that trade-off, you know, anytime you try to shoot something more. But um, can they find that happy balance? And I think, you know, if they do, then, you know, I think Scott Brooks deserves a lot of the credit for it. But if it doesn't, then he, he will deserve a lot of the blame. All right, let's move a little bit from the main players on the team to the bench lineup because the bench last year was bad. The bench the year before last was probably worse. And I think this year they have talent on the bench, but I'm not sure if they can put it all together. So will you agree with me that the best bench lineup this team has is playing Sadoransky, Rivers, Ubre, Green, and then Mahimi? Yes. So how do you think that lineup going to be? I, I just... I just feel like there's not a nice balance of uh, like I, skill delegation, I guess, for lack of a better term, because, you know, Sadoransky is good at moving the ball around, but, you know, it, it helps when he has someone who can kind of break people down off the dribble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Austin River, Rivers isn't exactly that guy. Yeah. He can, you know, kind of create his own shot, but he can't break down a defense. Um, Kelly Oubre can break down a defense, but he can't play make. It's just either I'm getting to the rim or I'm turning it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Green can kind of play make, but he can't shoot. And even when he play makes, it's not always great. And then you have Mahimi, who um, apparently can shoot now. That's kind of a weird thing that I'm not sure will hold up. But um, he did it well in the preseason. Listen, I am down yeah. with Jan Mahimi shooting threes. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's. If you have him out on the perimeter, it means that he's not turning the ball over yep. trying to catch something in the pick and roll. And so, you know, a, a missed three is better than a turnover. So, you know, because at least you can rebound a missed shot. So, um, yeah, I will take that. Um, but it does kind of, you know, make the situation where, you know, I, I just don't know if there's enough – like, I don't know if it really cohesive, you know, is a cohesive unit. I think there's pieces that you can swap out um, with the starters. So, I mean, I think it's one of those benches that's better suited to be, um, you know, staggered. used, you know, staggered with the starters rather than put together in the way that Scott Brooks has generally done things in the past. But, you know, he's generally been resistant to, you know, staggering the way that I think a lot of people would like him to. But, you know, I think if there was a year to do it, this is definitely the one. All right. Last question before I let you go here. How do you think the Wizards are going to stack up with the other teams in the East? What's your prediction? All right. So here's the tricky thing. I, You know, I think a lot of people kind of have Washington in the four to six range, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think is fair based on kind of the relative talent levels, but I'm just not sure that, um, you know, given that Washington has kind of been in this cycle for all these years now, 
is it going to hold together if they realize they're, you know, the fifth best team in the East again, and they're going to be fighting just to get first round, you know, a first round advantage. Um, and so do they get discontent if they realize that's all they are? Cause if they do, then they might be the fifth best team, but they might end up underachieving cause they get kind of despondent right. and then they kind of, you know, have a situation like we saw last year. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if they can't exceed expectations, then, well, then they're probably going to be, you know, maybe a top three team. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any way they catch Boston or Toronto. There's just too much depth there. But, you know, I, I could conceive a situation where maybe Philly, you can't put it all together. Milwaukee isn't quite ready yet. And maybe Washington sneaks up to third. I think that's their best case scenario. I, you know, I wouldn't probably put it over like 10%, but I think it's there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of uh, whether or not the fresh blood can give um, the Wizards something to be excited about without turning it into something where it's just uh, everyone fighting in a contract year to get theirs. Um, the Wizards aren't exclusive in that. There's a lot of teams that have a lot of guys in contract years just with the way the cap spike has messed everything up with all the teams around the league. But, uh, you know, that's another one of those things that Scott Brooks is going to have to figure out if, you know, if he's the guy that's great at player development and getting guys to buy in, this is one of those years he's going to have to prove himself and do what Randy Whitman couldn't, you know, 2016. So, um, I'm going to still, I'm going to stick to fourth. I just, I don't buy Milwaukee as much as everyone else wants to. I think Giannis could easily be MVP, but I just I don't know about the rest of that supporting crew yet. So um, I, I'll put them fourth. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, it's a huge year for the Wizards for Wall, Beal, Porter, and especially Scott Brooks. If they don't do well this year, there's a chance the whole core might be split up. So it's going to be interesting to see. They kick off their season tomorrow night against the Heat. Everyone tune in. And before and after the game, be sure to check out Bullets Forever, where Jake Whitaker is going to be writing and managing the site for the year. It's probably the best wizard site out there right now, so go check it out. Thank you so much, Jake. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to Down to the Wire, presented by DHS Press. Go to DHSPress.com for all the news Titans need to know. As always, rate, review, and subscribe. I'm Varun Shankar, signing off.